the herd ran in fear. And the dark ones, children of the worm, walked the streets in the day. I turned my head from the sight. The phoenix told me, this is as it shall be, but not as it should. The phoenix left me then. Now I cannot dream. I can only remember the signs, each one in perfect detail. These are the last days. May Gaia have mercy on us. 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf the Apocalypse, a review podcast. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliations by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters, and they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at werewolfthepocalypse-retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to 25 Years Vampire the Masquerade Podcast presents Werewolf the Apocalypse. And today we're going over the Glasswalker Tribe book, first edition. And with us here today, we got Nick. Howdy. And DJ. Hola. Brennan, I know you're going to hear this. I hope you heal quickly. I understand getting COVID for round three is rough. Uh, hopefully you come out of it healthy and hail and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. So... Uh, with that being said, let's get to this book. Now, I know this comic, I went over the Get Offenders one. I'm going to go ahead and throw it to whichever one of you wants to go over the Hazards in the Workplace opening comic for this first Ed Tribe book. We'll roll bones for it? Fine. I guess I'll do it. Um, <laughs> it's funny because it's always done in a comic book type of style. And I think the artwork this time around is actually quite accurate for how it's set up. It actually represents itself kind of like this company named John Henry of sorts, right? That's what it's labeled. And it starts off with one person who's on the phone already yelling, upset about everything and anything regarding what's kind of happening in the background. Why are their margins kind of being pushed out? Why are we getting pushed out from this particular location? But we know that this person is a glass walker. And what's important about it is he's trying to navigate the waters of how he's going to battle the worm, especially when you know that certain things that we've spoken about before regard most importantly, Pentex and Endron, um, are kind of playing him out. What he does notice, I think, is that he's being played out by someone within his own company. Um, and they start taking a look into it. Um, without getting too much into it, you come to find out that it is someone within the company, uh, specifically when it comes to kinfolk. And we know how kinfolk get when they ain't born one of the one of the Garu. Um, and Garu do what they gotta do, and they teach him a lesson there. I think that pretty much wraps it up, though, in general, without going too much into detail. Nick, help me out here, because this one seemed a little bit more different. It wasn't as epic as the Get one was, unless you could get something from it that I didn't. No, no, you're 100% right. It, 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 was, uh, it, was, it was far less exciting. You know, it was just, uh, I think at the end of the day, really what it came down to is, is looking at a, you know, a, a less often viewed uh, perspective of, you know, of your tribe, which is toss the coin to your kinfolk, Right. You know, you got people you got to take care of, you know, and uh, and they're just as susceptible to the worm as everybody else. Well, there's some stuff they did with the with the art in here, right? The, it's a comic, so it's kind of hard to say 
uh, the writing was, uh, I mean, it's a comic. Oh, the art was great. Right? So, but the art does tell the story, right? Number mm-hmm. one, uh, the glass walker on the phone is somebody who's, who's going at it uh, with someone who said it would, would cost like something like $2 billion is a penalty his company has to pay because his company is somehow at fault for polluting the, the earth, polluting the environment. And he doesn't know where it is. And he's, he's shifting, right? He's on the phone, just losing it, rage pouring into him over it. And calmly, somebody walks in and is like, hey, just so you know, this, that, and the other info. And he goes, right, we'll get to that. Uh, assemble the pack. We got stuff to do, things to happen, blah, blah, blah. Very interesting in that regard. Uh, to this point, we were used to a primal uh, werewolf kind of beat. You know, this is uh, people meeting around a campfire and folks running out of the woods and, you know, stuff made of bone and everything else. And this is like in a corporate boardroom. This guy's the CEO and getting it done. And when you watch how they operate, it's it's shock to the system, I think, especially after everything we reviewed so far. Uh, when you get this far in a world, I feel like, wow, I didn't even think the Glasswalkers were, well, they seem very practical. Right there with the times, they've melded well. It shows that here. And they're still doing the work of Gaia, right? They're adapted uh, to this technology uh, that you see is going on. And more importantly, their enemy isn't so on the nose. Like, who is it that's going after them, charging them the maximum price, right, for this, this mishap? And the mishap isn't that, I mean, it's bad that they're polluting the environment, but compared to other corporations, he even brings that point up, this is ridiculous. Like, they're raking them over the coals for this. What's going on? And they got to find that leak. Come to find out, it is a kinfolk, right, much like you said. But the point, it's a kinfolk who's in this building as a janitor. Now, it, it showcases that this, this guy, when the werewolves approach him, as Pac does, they approach this gender like, oh, man, why'd you do it? Why'd you choose to betray us and, and betray Gaia? What, why, what, what, what's going on? And you sit there and go, this guy's your kinfolk, and he's a janitor in your Fortune 500 company. Right? That's why he did it. Like, you're reading this going, this, this makes perfect sense to me. He's got a worm mop. It's a, it's a mop filled with whatever nonsense worm <laughs> chemicals he's using. He's like occult-esque, wiping it all on the walls on the inside of a bathroom already cleaned. Um, it's dripping down <laughs> like, the drain. Like a disgruntled McDonald's worker. Like, let's be realistic. <laughs> it is. And we are he being realistic. But mopping it. that's the point, right? Of, of That's exactly what they wanted to engender here, is that you don't take care of these people. This is what you get. Now, how many times have we seen this lesson? Right, Many. the white, the white howlers. They were betrayed by their own kinfolk, getting corrupted, giving in. The Fianna had a problem with their kinfolk giving in. The Get had a problem with their kinfolk giving in. This is something they're just beating into our heads that this is what happens. The jealousy of your kin, if you don't take care of them, the worm will. And this is another example of it, but it shows them showing up to handle it in what I like to call ridiculous capacity. Oh, I yeah. mean, we got cyborg wolves with. Special armor, black ops armor being worn. It's like an entire pack of wolves overkilling one guy. And it's, okay, all right. They even go so far as to use spirits to bind this guy to the floor and then do even worse. And once I got through this comic, I was like, well, that about sums up the Glasswalkers for me. Um, It really did. I was like, oh, well, I guess uh, we know who the badasses of the city are. Let's, let's, Let's get the hell out of here, right? Uh, but 
that's just that. And then they do something here with an introduction that I'm not used to seeing. Somebody completely random decided to wax Don Quixote for one page, like half a page, right? It's on page 13 in the tribe, but you'll, you'll read it where they're trying to give you an immersion. It's called the mechanic organism, no, metal organism, excuse me. And they just wax poetic about the city and what it looks like from the eyes of random Glasswalker X. And then they're on to something completely different, right? Then there's the rest of the tribe, but <laughs> now I know the point of that introduction. It's, it's exactly what it's supposed to be. But what did you guys think of it? Uh, to me, it actually reminded me of the introductions you see in the other tribe books. It's just like this short two, maybe three paragraph, uh, full blown perspective, I guess, soliloquy on, uh, on, on just how they view the world from, from that tribe's perspective. Here, and, it was exactly what I was expecting to see. Right. And I think to add on to that, it, one of the things that definitely stands out the most is they, they automatically put their stance in there. It's like, it's a city, but the city's not the worm. Right? So automatically, it sets the pace for what you're going to, what we're going to go over, especially with their defense of it. It's kind of like, no, 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 we're good here, except, and that is a very telling sign in terms of how the Glasswalkers try to defend their position, so to speak. <laughs> It's interesting. The, the tone of this book is where it's uh, some old glasswalker, waxing poetic, about being glasswalker. And that's, we're used to that, right? In-character perspective is the narrative, and it just rolls on and on. And the point to remember here is that everything in here from this point on, it's biased, it's heavily glasswalker, mm -hmm. and it's glasswalker rhetoric. You can't get into the bind of, like, you hear something counter, well, now it derails your thought process, and i got to stress that. I enjoy reading these tribe books, getting the exact tone that um, there are people who rules lawyer and it's out of habit, right? When you read something, in a, when you read a board game and there's instructions on how to do X, Y, and Z, and there's some story to explain why you can do certain things in a board game, you consider that the rule book, you read it and it's there. And because you can apply story to it, it's immutable. However, when you get to books written for game, uh, as in a tabletop role-playing game, that's not necessarily the case. And sometimes they're prop-based. Sometimes they're there to represent lore that your character can use in-game and what angle they've received it so you can uh, better disseminate that information in character as you created the character. And this is a perfect example of that. However, what I promise you is that during a lot of first ed, people took it as gospel truth, which is why you'll see in the revised books, they did this in Vampire 2, they changed the tone. They make a common mm -hmm. basis of neutrality that they go for, although some biasness naturally will sneak in. I mean, if you're talking specifically about a tribe, you're going to have to get that flair uh, to, yeah. to understand it as a whole. But this one is pro Glasswalker. And to start off this history, I'm uh, let's, let's give Nick a go. What's the, what's the vaunted beginning for the Glasswalkers? Well, uh, Kind of what you'd expect. It all started with Silver Fangs, and then uh, eventually the Silver Fangs <laughs> decided to to set a group of individuals as uh, as the people who who watch over the uh, the humans, and they decided to call them the Warders of Apes. And these guys, uh, they started watching over the humans, and they started noticing some interesting things. Uh, humans were beginning to fashion these tools, and. Uh, and they, they, they found these tools and then found out that these tools were talking to them. So they were spiritually awakened 
rocks and and different things that they were using. So they jumped into the Umbra and decided they were going to talk with these different spirits and see what's really going on. And uh, and the the rock spirits themselves uh, started talking with them about the different things that they wanted to do. And one of those things is uh, you know they wanted to fly through the sky and different stuff like that. Um, and well, let's the, pound that out a little bit because there's some there's some defining things we got to do here. Number one, they didn't talk to the humans, right? The spirits. What it is is they're, they're in a way they communicated with them. You're right on that, but it's the fact that the guru are the ones who talk to the spirits, so they're the ones who go into the umbra well, to ask Rock it, what's going on, right? It actually said that they taught them gifts, like they taught right. the humans they gifts. Did. They did, they did, but they're talking as spirits do, right? And spirits work mm. through emotional connection especially when it comes to humans. The humans are not awakened in any capacity in this regard, which is the importance of the glass rockers going across to talk to the spirits of rock to go, why are you helping them? Like, what's, what's the deal? What's going on? Right. And why that's important is because it's the way the glass walkers view their importance with humans, right? Because this tribe book sets a precedent right here off the bat that when they come over here to talk to rock, they did it on behalf of humans because humans turn into arrogant jerks. Right. Once they teach them how to use tools, humans hit the ground running and they take off like, who cares about rock? I learned to make this and I'm over here doing this now. And rock's like, well, they don't care about us. And then when the glass walkers get there. Right. And that's and that's the importance. There's the glass walkers are able to talk to them to learn, OK, what's going on? How can we fix this? And the role of the But to that end, and I'm sorry, I just I just had to interject there <laughs> to bring people up to speak because that's important. So uh, but you were saying. Rock asked of the Glasswalkers something in return to teach the Glasswalkers what they had already taught the humans. Yeah, uh, Rock asked them to teach them how to fly, right? Or more essentially that they just wanted to fly. And, uh, and it was with that that the Glasswalkers kind of jumped out of the umbra and they're like, all right, scratching their heads. Um, failed their enigmas role and weren't quite sure how to even do this. It wasn't until they, they spent more time observing the humans and they realized that they, they saw a human like grabbing a flat rock and attaching it to a stick and then like hurling it into the air, you know, farther than a guru could ever throw a rock. And they were like, what is going on? So they, uh, they adapted the, uh, the technology of the bow and arrow from the, uh, from the humans. And then in that way, fulfilled their obligation to rock. And, and for me, I found it, I found that hysterical because I was like, I wouldn't have had to have been an atlatl at that point, right? That had to have been the first thing. You know, or or who knows, like any spear, javelin, like, uh, you know, it's, who knows? And that's what it is. Well, because later on they mentioned bow and arrow. And again, this distinction, because this writing goes through a process of explaining upgrades. It's all about upgrading as we go along, right? And, and that's going to be the pattern here. Because again... Glasswalkers come in saying, okay, well, let me take that back. The Warders of Apes come in and saying, okay, they're, they're dancing with this uh, new tech they got from nowhere, and it's better in their life. They're figuring out new things. This stuff's going on. Uh, but when they make a first city, what goes on then, right? Because once they teach Rockfly, what's the issue? Uh, DJ. The issue is exactly what you mentioned before. People are arrogant, and once they start moving things out of the way, they don't care. However, the interesting part about the first city is once they started seeing that... Well, let's back up a little bit, right? Because as soon as they started throwing rocks, one of the things they started talking about the most, the spirits were like, <laughs> wait a second. 
they have mobile caves. What do you mean they have mobile caves, right? And to, to bring us up to speed, what they mean is they started building houses outside of the caves that were built in there. They're starting to create yep. domains. And this started throwing everything for a loop. And I think what's important about it is to say that Glasswalkers, much like any Garu, viewed humans as like, okay, well, they're dumb creatures. But now you're starting to see the innovation of that, which is humans. And their arrogance is what kept them going like, well, wait, what? And when you start getting to the first city, you start seeing where the huge expanse of this started happening. Um, the funny part is, this is probably also one of the funny times in terms of where Garou start finding out that the entire city just ended up being corrupt. Why? Because vampires be dwelling here. And they saw it burn to the ground as well, which also was an interesting lesson for them, uh, which you'll start seeing in patterns, which essentially is sometimes things have to burn in order to get recreated, and they start seeing the stagnation there. But one of the other things about it is they themselves started recognizing that as the city started to grow, uh, they were unable to control the populace of humans to a certain degree. Well, this is, uh, they- this is interesting because when they say first city, they say the first city was chock full of vampires. I mean, are they talking about that first city? Well, the thing here is that who knows what the hell this guy's talking about, right? This Glasswalker is mm-hmm. not back in the ancient times. He's not doing it. He's telling you how the Glasswalkers came about. What does he know? Of what's back then, right? So you mentioned the first city. I'm guessing, yeah, they're making a reference to the first city because they mentioned things about this city. First and foremost, we didn't dare go into it. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. We stayed outside of it. And that's what we did, right? And we had to because there was terrible things that were in there, mainly vampires. So (laughs) I wonder why that was, right? So It it does hmm. give us a timeline, though, as to when the first city was. It was definitely pre-Impergium. So... If the first city was pre Impergium, and I'm going to underline that with duh, can we just can we get that clear? If anybody thought you couldn't figure out that the first city Enoch wasn't pre, I mean, come on, you know, let's let's just we're not paying attention then uh, because there's certain facets here. The thing I want to focus on though is not the vampire half. That's interesting point, but I want to focus on Bonar Glasswalker. Where did they come from? Right now, the Waters of Apes were both of these tribes, right? And you know the distinction yep. right here. They point out the Glasswalkers arrogantly come in. And, the, and we've got to remember, the Waters of Vapes were there to make sure man had a guide. They were taught the ways of the earth, and they didn't get out of hand. That's what they were taught. So the Bonars complained. They don't know when, how, or why stuff got out of whack. But they do know the Glasswalkers were there with them. And, and they, they belly up to the barn and say, we screwed up. But yes, so did they. And the Silver Fangs were like, nah, no, they didn't, because they got cities. No bullshit, Wang. That's exactly how it's looked at. And here's why. The Glasswalkers jumped in, and they stole the cream of the crop. They said, hey, you Bonars, don't worry about the spirits. We'll take care of them. These are new, weird things, new spirits. The coins are talking to you. The metal's talking to you. The stones now want stuff. What's next, right? The dirt's going to want things. I mean, the the sunlight's (laughs) going to want stuff. I mean, who wants that headache? But, man, we still got to keep an eye on the humans. You mind helping out? Do your part. And so the bone arms are running around, you know, still, well, they're waters of men, but there's a division, a clear division. And if you look at camps, this is what happens when one tribe, well, basically one half trusts the camp to do one thing and one camp does the other. This is what yep. you have. And this ends up going, this blows up in the Impergium, right? Because as DJ was here, we did get a, get ahead of it, but I just want to make sure that, because uh, I think it's a good point to point out the first city. And more or less, we're, we're caught up there. But it's also important to pick out that the the, the Glasswalkers suck. I mean, I mean, here, they more or less admit that they're there with the Silver Fangs. And they're like, oh, yeah, check out what humanity's doing. Look, got this axe. We got all sorts of <laughs> they stuff. Got, 
they got a little Stockholm syndrome, right? They they got sent over to kind of babysit this person. Next thing you know, they're like over there, like with an arm around them, you know, watching a movie. And you're kind of looking like, what's what, what's going on? What did, why why you? We said hang out outside the window, and they're like, no, no, they got popcorn. <laughs> and and one of the the angry things that happens here is because the humans explode in populace. Yes. And they're like, they're mad, right? But DJ, what do, what do they decide to do as a nation? What do the group do? They're like, well, the only way to kind of make this work in our favor is to start just to spread the love, quite literally and figuratively. And by that, we mean to say they try populating as many of the city with kinfolk as possible, because in that way, they'd be able to kind of have some semblance of control over it. But hang on, hang on. What you're talking about there, that was their solution to save man. Yeah. Yes. So the second, they, what they did, these jerks. <laughs> like after this first city goes down in flames, right? And it does. They uh, they 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 see these humans like kind of randomly walking around, kicking rocks along the riverbank. Like, oh, we had a city, and now we don't know what to do. And they're like, hey, why don't you just build another city? And that that's kind of what sets them off. Because then the shadow lords and the ghetto are like, okay, no more cities in Pergia. We're gonna kill them all. And so Frank's like, fine. Just take care of this problem. They go in there, they raid the city, they raise it, they burn it, they shred it, everything. And that's, uh, that's kind of what kicks off this Impergium. And the important thing about the Impergium is, according to the Glasswalkers, the whole reason they went at them is mages. They mentioned yeah. that too. Yeah. Mages Which makes me wonder if that's who was talking to the spirits of the rocks and shit. That's, that's kind of why I'm a little bit hesitant about how all that like happened at the beginning. Right. Because there a, may have been awakened individuals even back then. They mentioned shamans. Well, of course there were. And they mentioned shamans and they mentioned mages, right? And mm-hmm. But this guy, again, it's a biased pitch from in-character guy. He doesn't give names or specifics till much later because uh, this is back in the days of who knows. But they, <laughs> but they know enough. At least this is another clear picture of depends on what bite of the shit sandwich you want in the impergium to swallow, Right. Get a Fenris at a viewpoint, we've been over, children, a guy at a viewpoint, Black Furies at a point, you know, so on and so forth. Here's the Glasswalkers take, but this actually kind of makes sense. They point out, here's where the humans went wrong. Turns out they got juice. They got some power. You know, you're not the we're not the most special people walking, but you know, we can kill those guys. That's what we yeah. can do. Put them in the right camps and we could start eliminating them, and that's that's their solution. Which to me, it's an evil unto its own right. It's, it's because they had their own spiritual guides, and that's not good enough for them. They're, I don't know if you want to call it, I call it arrogance, but you call it hubris or whatever, believing that Gaia made them and only them to take care of it fits that lupine motif that the Guru walk around with, right? And this is why I say, the Guru aren't heroes. I'm going to point that out. They're heroes in their own mind, right? When it relates to their own echo chamber, they're the good guys, not necessarily when you look outside, right? If you're not a guru, not a, look at how they handled their own kinfolk in the beginning of this book, right? This comment. Mm-hmm. Why did it get corrupted by the worm? How about you don't make him a janitor? If he's born special and can, and can see past your nonsense and can help out, maybe you educate him and set him up better in life to live at least a decent life if he can't shape change. And maybe he could be on the board to argue on your behalf to these political whoever's so you're not getting sanctioned for two trillion dollars or whatever it was. But you didn't. He fell to the worm. Welcome to the hubris of the tribe. And I digress big time, but the Impergium <laughs> had a point, and that was to call the power of the growing humans. Because number two of this, 
was that the glass walkers had already, or the, the warders of, of, of apes had already said, hey, I don't know what you want us to do. The humans have tools now and are doing a lot of stuff and blah, blah, blah. And hey, and it's right after Nick made that lovely dissertation of how they just walked around and said, you should build a second city. Right? And they do that, and yeah. then the glass walkers turn around and go, oh, these guys, am I right? And that's, that's interesting, right? Uh, but DJ, what happens to the second city? We keep, I urged you to beginning, but what is this now? What this, this all loaded, what occurs? So what they end up doing is they, they come to figure out solutions for how to deal with this growing human populace. And to that, as I was mentioned before, they get kinfolk and they start pretty much seeding them into cities itself. Interestingly enough, you know, humans at this point are still very much influential uh, or influenced, I should say. And one way of being able to call them is by saying they knew something in the background had existed. Maybe not outright. And they probably said it or didn't know about the Garu, but they were like, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. You have some troublemakers in the city as it is. Sometimes they're not good for society. Let them go. And in an interesting way, they started getting kinfolk to start helping police people. And this is one of the first few times you probably ever see them starting to influence mortals in such a way because you don't see it before, right? This is subtle. They're mm -hmm. like, that's a bad person. No problem. Throw them into the wild. Exile them. The guru will go ahead and take care of them. And that's uh, an interesting way of being able to call. Is it effective? That's kind of hard to say. But at least from a Glasswalker perspective, it's probably the first time we see it happen. Well, we know it's not effective uh, because the matter of selecting, <laughs> you know, the odd man out or a lottery to get rid of people is something that was mentioned, I want to say, even in the Get book. Uh, there was a book we reviewed where they talked about, uh, I can't remember which one, there was somebody who said uh, that uh, they were, some village went dark, we'll just put it that way, because one of the practices was that they would choose, you know, I don't want, uh, the term I was going to use was very insensitive, but you would pick an oddity for someone, and then that would be the sole reason to go after the rest of it in a grouping, and uh, you're, you're blanketing, and segregating and, and everything else. And it just it just doesn't work. And it was the children of God uh, that mentioned it, by the way. And uh, the uh, so we know what they're saying is true, but we also know that that idea clearly came from them. And these guys were insidious because what I, I'm actually shocked that they came up with the idea that we'll just breed them. We'll just breed the humans and we don't have to worry about how is your answer to overpopulation to breed humans in that regard. <laughs> well, I, it's pretty damn obvious. At this point, they're not on the same team, right? There's an obvious division because the Glasswalkers want this experiment to continue, whereas the, uh, I'm sorry, the Warders of Apes at this point right. want this, uh, this whole thing to continue, whereas it looks like the rest of the tribes are just like, we need to get our hands around this problem. So, I mean, this is, uh, this is very one hand uh, playing behind the back of the other hand. You know, you know, they're showing up to the moots with their hands behind their back and their fingers crossed. Oh, yeah, we'll take care of this. This is our top priority. We, you can count on us. We know everything about them. It's a good catch because that's, a, that's more than a conspiracy, right? I mean, right here he admits to it and uh, that that's, that's what they're doing. But the way he delivers it is like, ah, this is just historically what happened. No big deal. And later on to mention that there were debts accrued that they don't have to worry about because their ancestors are dead. Nope, they go away. Our ancestors don't come <laughs> back to us, so we don't have to worry about it, what they did, so we're good to go. Right, guys? And ironically, the Gru Nation begins to overlook it because they are granting benefits through the humans in this regard. And here we know, a while ago I, I had said it was a crazy theory that the Weaver wasn't back uh, with, with humans bouncing around doing what they're doing. Uh, but the Weaver does provide order, as far as everyone knows. The Weaver takes that chaos and helms it and does it in. 
However, you're going to find that in this book, they lay seeds right here to say that the reason why folks wonder what the weaver is has everything to do with the fact that overpopulation, which is what the weaver was doing, is a facet of the worm. Already we reviewed that. The, worm, the Black Furies highlight how the worm used that as a tactic uh, to overrun uh, the wild, to start destroying it, was the whole reason the overpopulation is a problem. And it's there. And you begin to see how something convinces that, uh, well, at least depending on which guru you are, they disagree on humans as a whole. It's either the children are weaver or the humans serve serve the worm. And you got to remember, yeah. the populace we see it with Rome. Rome was the big worm-ridden mass that goes around and do stuff. We'll get there. But the glasswalkers don't quite see them the same way, uh, which means where's the truth at? In this regard, right? What is the weaver? Good, bad, mixed? What is it? And uh, these guys have a very interesting philosophy on it overall. And that's, screw it. If it's an advantage to us, take it. Right? We're the ones who need all the help we can get. And you know this because when they build this city, as it said, they do nothing to stand in the way of the two tribes that come to destroy it. Right? Which is what we were edging DJ to, but we kept jumping in with anecdotes. But I want to move this forward here. <laughs> um, so... The Shadow Lords respond by, by saying flat out, let's follow the get offender and saying flat out, let's kill them all. Let's smoke this city, burn it to the ground. They get together, that's what they do. Right? They destroy it. And so, alas, the mankind's second attempt to have a city way back in the day comes crashing down at the hands of the Guru. It's an interesting story. Happen to know this guy's full of crap, but it's an interesting bit that they want to throw in that happened. Like, or maybe he's talking about back then a city was like. 10,000 people and, you know, 4,000 left, 6,000 horrible things. And that's it. Who knows? Who knows? But the point is, it doesn't quite add up. It's like you're, you're admitting some wrongs, but for what purpose? And it's, well, let, let's just say that the purpose that they talk about is that the coming of commerce becomes a convenient excuse after this, right? So after the Impergium's done and they said, Project Kinfolk, we'll just breed. They start going, hey, there's this cool thing out. Right? It's called money. It's really cool. It's these rocks that don't mean anything. Different colors, different shapes, whatever. It's weird. They threw this enchantment on, on the humans. And, like, the humans believe it's the most important thing ever. It's a very seductive call. By the way, we think so, too. And you should really hop on this now and get a hold of this money because it's a, it's a great idea. You should check it out. And there's a shift in the telling of the story. It goes from stuff being, you know, worm-tainted, bad, and Pergam to immediately, money! We get money and everyone likes it, and we bring it to the Guru Nation. Don't they love it? It's awesome. And I'm like, in another light, this book is literally an admittance to falling to the worm, and they're too blind to see it. Right? Look at the steps here. Rolled, or what is it? Uh, steps to power. You're with man, and you don't fulfill your purpose by war being a true warden of them, which is what the Bonar half of you tried to do. And you threw them under the bus, saying the Impergium was at, we screwed up, but blame them, because we did what? We gave you tools, technology, and new spirits to deal with. So keep us around. Thumbs up. By the way, we're going to breed with these humans so we can still keep this going. Now we're going to go over here. and We don't care if there's a mage or two amongst them. That's great. We'd rather not be there, but we'll deal. That makes them special. Um, I know you guys are real butthurt about that whole Impergium. We kind of screwed up, but uh, uh, we're giving you money. Who doesn't like it? Now you have armies of humans doing stuff for you. How's that working out for you? How would you like, Mr. Silverfane, to come in out of the cold? 
Why sit outside if to learn a gift from a cold spirit and how, or a fire spirit and how to stay warm? Sitting out there when you could just walk in a cave. Burn a little dead wood. Not live wood. A little dead wood. Give a little purpose. Fire's cool. That's natural, you know. We're not a huge fans of it, but, you know, it has a place of the wild, you know. But I mean, Weaver provides. Hey, have fun. What'd you say? Weaver does what? I don't know. Don't pay attention. And here's a pile of what we're calling copper. And this is a currency. And you guys know the advancement of it and how it's spreading around. And we know greed when we see it and when we hear it. And they more or less laid seeds for it as that as basically they latch on to mankind learning what commerce is. They go right there with them, but they make themselves innocent. I actually enjoy this, right? Because at this point, you never really see a tribe admitting what the man half of the wolf does to the werewolf, right? You mm. know the lupus is the wild and all that opposition. You know the war form of the menace and how they fit in society. But man's sort of this philosopher's stone of power. Has the potential to be anything, right? As Nick pointed out, awakened men. <clears throat> we had that uh, disagreement, which we're going to... I like the two separate views of that, you know. Either the Rocks did directly talk to a couple guys and say, hey, hey, this is how it's done. Or it is just a subtle influence of, like, you know, I'm thinking, which is an emotional creativity peak that uh, helps them spurn forward to get these guys to go across and go, what are you doing, Rocks? And But the whole time, they're appropriating it as they learn. They don't want to be left behind. And that's what they're doing. And the Bonars at this point as a whole, they're really cool with it. But greed changes everything, right? Once they learn masses of these mortals can dance to their tune, what ends up happening? And uh, in this recourse, we're talking about it, another discovery. We'll come back to this, uh, but let's because uh, I think the order is important. Uh, so we'll talk about the machine. That's what we're going to roll into next. So uh, it's actually it's very interesting. So kind of just lay, lay the ground foundation. So there's a Theurge, Sheba, Arrow of Gaia, uh, you know, plunges into the uh, into the Umbra. She's she's bombing around. She finds something super interesting out there. It looks like a like a conglomeration of tools. Uh, you know, like uh, this guy's got like a you know like a knife leg and like a a sickle arm or whatever it is. She just finds like this body kind of slumbering in the Umbra, and it's composed of these different tools, and it's slowly like uh, growing as more tools are kind of coming to it. And, uh, and, and she just calls it, uh, the machine, right? It's, uh, not like Bert Kreischer, but you know, like the machine spirit. <laughs> and, uh, and it's very interesting concept because she's like this thing, whatever it is, it's in its cocoon phase, right? It's slumbering. And at some point it's going to wake up. And when it wakes up, it's going to be an amazing thing. And we should all, you know, just kind of do what we can, to make sure that we're bringing it along because we can already feel the gnosis from this thing seeping into the physical realm. And there's a lot of findings that that go with the machine. Uh, The machine right here and them seeing it, it's not what you think. I mean, they, they believe it is, you know, they're like Eureka. It's the weaver. Do you guys think it's the weaver? Well, not necessarily. I actually, um, it's uh it it definitely could be it could be a facet of the weaver in the same way that the the worm has talons and and facets of it in the same way this machine is the same the same kind of boundary there's an interesting uh uh phrase that was written by uh marshall McLuhan back in like the 1930s when he was re- when he was writing a, a book on understanding communication and media 
said that man becomes, as it were, the sex organs of the machine world. So in this sense, the Glasswalkers, they, they see and recognize themselves like kind of as, as part of the, the cycle of like bringing in this new incarna. And they see humans as like these sex organs, these, these pieces that like guide and create the technology as it moves along. So in the same way that you're out in a meadow and you see like a bee flying around and bumping into flowers here and bumping into flowers there. And through that process, it pollinates one flower with another another flower. Humans are kind of in like the same weird fumbling way of continuing to move this technology around, completely oblivious to it. But the the glasswalkers see this and be like, well, why does it have to be a human just randomly bumping into one flower and then bumping into another flower? What if we could choose what flowers they pollinate and guide this technology path where it kind of starts to go? And it, it, I think that really comes into the idea that Bob was talking about before with, uh, with the idea of controlling humans with this commerce and, and slowly manipulating them to, to see the weaver like move how you kind of want to. And I think I, that this is, a, this is a lot of the philosophy that they're really trying to lay down with this concept of the machine. It's not, it's not often that you have that, but go ahead. I was about to say, because, uh, and I agree with it, it's, it's almost to me like a chicken or egg situation, right? Because what if the Glasswalkers or the Warriors of Apes did not get involved? Would this machine have come into existence? So, right. if I can tell you right now, I can answer that question. Right? And the answer is yes. It's the data sphere. Is what they're stumbling on. Now, that, that's mentioning of mage lore. But remember how in first it, it ties all sorts of things together. This of is course. another facet of it. And they call it sleeping uh, the sleeping machine, because it's not fully realized yet. It's not full into power. It's days coming, mm-hmm. but it is not here yep. yet. And that's and that's the point. And they kind of mapped this out. I found it fascinating that that's a, tied, a, a tether there. Because it's not really a... It's, it's a focus in mage, but it's for the technocracy, right? It's the other half of uh, the, techno- or the technocracy uh, usage of the correspondence sphere, right? Basically, they call it data, is, a, is what they look at it. And before yep. you think, no, no, you're wrong... Look it up. Look it up and look at the data sphere and read it and how it's new. It came out of their exploration and blah, blah, blah. And you realize, well, wait a minute, it's new. Well, this birthed itself. This was here because. And it's a cause and effect is what I'm trying to tell you. Remember, the weaver was just to establish order. Well, it seems that humans and this mention of commerce and the influx of greed and whatever it is suddenly spawned something greater. And it's in the early stages. It's not fully realized because, like Nick just said, there's a stumble-bumble aspect that everyone's just learning to pay, hey, pay attention to these humans because this is going to get huge. And, and they knew that, right? So from the machine, we start having what they call a uh, growth period, we'll call it. The, uh, the golden age of, uh, of growth, so to speak. And this is where, well, flat out, folks, these, these glass walkers want to go around, and I keep doing that, the, uh, the waters of apes, want to go around and discover technology everywhere. They now want to learn everything because what they learn with this machine can do is, is store a lot of data. It knows a lot. It's able to keep and, and keep a hold of tons and tons and tons of memory. And uh, memories, I should say, not memories in computer. We ain't there yet. But because it can do that, they're, they want to see what, what else is out there in the world. And at this point, they start mentioning um, certain places they travel to. Um, and DJ, kick that off, if you don't mind. 
Well, outside of traveling regarding outside of cities, one of the things that they also mention is, and I think this is right before they actually get to another city, one of the things in, in the sidebar that they mentioned definitely is like the burning of cities. The fact that already we, we've spoken yeah. about two cities that greatly fell. But to the warders of apes at this moment in time, as they're moving from civilization to civilization, they're talking about the fact that this is a natural thing. Because then they start to recognize as things break down, you have to build from it again. And this is how they start getting closer towards guiding humanity at the very least in their own once again insidious way because it's pretty messed up if when you come to think about it um to burn it down to build it back up because it inspires and it adds to the machine itself but it also talk about and it hasn't gotten there yet but they'll call them the glass walkers of ancient china and how they started to move in once again and this also once again proves how insidious they are because in during that period in time the way the hierarchy was set up you would take multiple you would spread multiple wives, children's, etc. And it would just continue to move and push outward with it. Um, during that period in time, you're also starting to get more things coming out of it, especially when it comes to languages. So, Nick, go ahead. You you have that wild Man, look in your eyes. So here's the thing. I, I actually, uh, they, they kind of try and paint this as like, uh, you know, like things are moving and things are going amazing. What I think is this is right now is like where the kids got the Mylar balloon. It's their birthday. They're running around the amusement park and slowly that balloon starts to slip out of their hands and then float up toward the sky. And they just sit there and stare at it. And right now they're trying to pretend this is what they wanted all along. They've lost their grip on being able to control what's happening. And this hmm. is why they end up settling into like this mercantile class position, right? Because they, they no longer have the ability to, to wiggle into the politics. They no longer have the ability to control nations at this point. Their, their toy is out of their hand. It's, it's out of their control. And they're, they're just kind of sitting back like, yeah, this is what was meant to happen all along. Well, they have to say that. And one number one reason is time. They're not immortal. They have no ability to follow a logical path towards trying to guide mankind. One, mankind has population down pat in terms of outstripping it. They can't be everywhere, and they can't keep track of it. And there are territories ascribed to other people, right? Before this, they mentioned, uh, before ancient China, they mentioned going to Egypt, and they couldn't stay. <laughs> this is already taken. No, they, they got pushed out. Yeah. Right, pushed right out. Yeah. You know? But then the Library of Alexandria burned, and oh, woe is me. Look what happened there. If we could have got in there. Blah, blah, blah. You kind of see here, yeah. though, where the where the writing is basically, now we're going to, we see this a lot. Um, every fast in history where there were werewolves, there was a bad misdeed or good deed that starts happening. And they kind of kick it in order there. But they also do a good job of, like DJ was saying, talking about ancient China. If you could, DJ, just go ahead and talk about what they did there. Because, really, there's only one other book that you get into aspects of China in it, and that's the Stargazers. Yeah. So, as I was mentioning, outside of the, and I think Nick also brought into it, but to put both pieces together, this is where you actually start seeing that balloon start to slip away because there are two aspects of it. They try going with the old school way of trying to overpopulate in their particular side, but what they don't anticipate, especially when it comes to the mortals, is because of the sophistication at this time, especially of how they're phrasing it in ancient China, they're starting to talk about mandates, things that are written, those that are willing to have control versus not can they read right good you're a productive member of society and when you start weeding that out that's when they start to back into that position they can no longer control humanity because it's taken on its own pace and in china specifically this section when it's currently written that's when they start noticing that they have to choose a new way of living and this is where it ties back into the commerce there they have to find some limits of control and that semblance of control is going to come through the other aspects of it, which once again was commerce being one of them. And definitely you start seeing crime 
as another thing starting to show up as well, a- along with what aspects of influence they could exert. You know, the thing in here is that we're, that's, uh, that's where they're learning stuff from China and how to map that out and how to be read, write, and arithmetic, all that fun stuff. They're completely taking credit for the fact that humans you know, learn from them, right? They're trying to say that that's what it is. We know they're it's completely beautiful. and utterly full of shit. Yep, right. There is no way some wolves, <laughs> you were born in the dirt mud pie running around sniffing each other's butts hunting deer. That's all you knew about until you were assigned to watch humans. It's mankind's ability to adapt and grow that, that they're just watching and keeping on. Don't lose sight of that, folks. Where they're trying to lay down the law and say mandate X, they're trying to show that this is what happens as their tribe repeatedly tries to control what happens and they're not able to do it. It keeps going a different way i.e., why do we keep messing up? What goes on? But look at the humans. Look at all the cool stuff they're doing, right? And when we get to the Roman Republic and Empire, uh, this, you see it because they actually try saying that Remus and Romulus are kinfolk of theirs. Yep. Right? <laughs> the founding of was directly because of them? Okay. Well, then, uh, you screwed up, right? Why didn't we kill every single one of you at that point? Because that we know Rome is as corrupt as it gets, according to the majority of the tribes. Bob, Bob, it's not that bad because they're the ones who convinced Constantine to move out of Rome once it got corrupt. <laughs> I I adore this, right? Uh, this part, we're just going to kind of, okay, we're going to speed things along, right? Uh, because we, we could go all day about their alleged, you know, uh, here's what we got, here's what we didn't need and blah, blah, blah. Slavery wasn't bad in Rome. It was just uh, to <laughs> commerce, right? We were there and we tried telling them no. And hey, that's why we left. The one Christian God was great, was he? What about the Crusades? We don't talk about the Crusades around here. But let me tell you about the Dark Ages. Oh, wait a second. The Dark Ages, we get hit with the mages declaring war amongst themselves. And, and the one God rose in power. And it, it wasn't our fault that the one God rose in power. When he did that, he was hunting everybody in the burning times and they were going after, ask the Black Furies. This this dude jumps up, this patriarch, and oh, it's terrible. He comes through and he's, well, what do we do? We just, you know, uh, what do you mean we're the patriarch? Well, sort of. <laughs> Somebody has to establish order. It was a good idea. Didn't a weaver say there has to be a systemic order to push things along? And hey, the patriarch wasn't all that bad. We needed something to move us forward back in the day. We don't need to be equal until much, much later, but uh, enough of that. We'll get there eventually. Oh, hey, I got to stop the presses, though, because... Out of nowhere, there's an umbral fire. Yeah, that's super interesting. We don't ever explain it. It just says, hey, uh, 550 AD, 700, we can't even agree on that. Uh, out of nowhere, the, the machine gets burnt. And you know, <laughs> what machine, it is? The machine it, gets burnt. The machine gets burnt. And I think it's just thrown in there as allegory because when you start thinking about it, especially this dark age, the umbral fire is like the stopping of information. Right. People just get like information is willingly stopped. Uh, the church is suppressing your inquisitions around certain things are happening. And then this is them kind of showing like without our guidance, look what happened. We couldn't get anything out there. The bonars were out there scrapping one way or another. Vampires were doing what they do. Mages be be out there fooling around doing their thing. But without us, this is what ended up happening. And look, the machine suffered because of it, because there was no innovation, because we weren't there to guide. This is a thing that goes down. This is directly talking about the reality war that mages get into. Right. And this is where magic's waning and dormancy, And then like this is this is canon story for the changeling. Right. Yeah. This is canon story for like why suddenly Gaia gets bisected, you know, and so the realms, you got to sidestep into the umbra. It's not as one anymore. And here's the pattern. Here's the separation. So but this dude 
off his rocker because we know the Umbra versus the real world was separated a hot minute ago. Right? It happened, <laughs> happened way before now, but he's sort of like, yeah, but the Umbra yeah. Fire did stuff and it's, it's troublesome and blah, blah, blah. But they're clearly referring to a guy who gets a lot of info who's quickly trying to tell everybody every important thing from a biased perspective as it's just coming out like, like micro machines. But Nick, you were saying. Well, I mean, uh, to, to kind of bounce off DJ's point when he said this is like an allegory for you got to remember in, uh, in, in Werewolf, it's not an allegory. Um, what happens in the Umbra versus what happens in the real world, they're meant to be a direct reflection of each other. So when this umbral fire sweeps across, it's because the world's in chaos. Because these systems that were in place, you know, like the, the Rome itself that was holding everything together is what collapsed under the corruption. Right. And that effect, that ripple out is what caused this, you know, burning times as the, uh, as the Black Furies call it. But what I found super interesting when they talk about how the machine got burned, they talked about the machine as more than just a, a conglomeration of parts. It also talked about the machine as systems, right? So like scientific and social thought uh, processes. So like mm-hmm. the ideas that the Greeks had brought to us about democracy and, and re, uh, you know, republics and things like that, along with, you know, like the, uh, the Arabians and their, and their scientific methods and, and things that they had discovered, all that stuff got burned out through the, through the, uh, through the burning times. And that's why we ended up back in a feudal system with a single Lord who ruled over a realm, was, you know, like a vampire's wet dream, right? Everything was one person in strict control of this thing. And so here we have basically the justification as to why they feel they should be uh, messing with technology this very day. Because when the world almost got shut down, back to the Stone Age, they were able to take scientists and hide them in the church. The original Rona. Right. Right. So throw, throw them away somewhere to hide <laughs> this off. Because something very bad happens, right? The wild finds a way. As the plague comes out, the, the Black Plague, right, is what actually rocks the known world and starts killing everything. Yep. And it's, hey, thumbs up, it hit the city's worse, which is what the tribes say to the uh, to the, to the the wardens of man here, and wardens of apes, excuse me, uh, citing that this is why we had the Impergium to stop them from doing this. Huh? What's going on? Yeah. And then they quickly went, it's the Bonar's fault. It's, it's rats. <laughs> Have you tried to get them out of your city? You can't get rid of them. We were in here. They brought rats from China. We were in there with them, hanging out in the cities, and that was fine because they liked it too. But then we tried to boot them because it's our territory. But what do you do? Eventually, you just have to let you know, let them let them be there because you can't kill the rats. Rats are part of it. Oh, the plague came from rats. Uh, well, here's where we're now a separate <laughs> tribe. Blame them. Let's kill them. I'm game. Let's get rid of them. We want them off our territory anyway. Well, what this shows is that this group doesn't do a thing in absolutes. Right there. Well, this is, isn't this not what progress is? Progress is not the destruction of where you're at. It's the improvement past where you've gotten to. So every new obstacle is something to surpass in a better way. You know, smarter, not harder, as it said. And you keep on and on and on and on and on. So where they're the waters of, of apes at this point, but when the plague hits and goes bad, they're not saying don't make cities. They're saying make better cities that protect against <laughs> that. And that's their goal. And they go right to town. They said, but don't worry. We can do this because we're in commerce. We told you the magic of it. Well, the magic, we can just dip into our banks here. And we bring it forward. And, hey, we're the people with money. We ain't got to worry about this. This is poor people problems. We don't have them problems. We'll just start again. And don't worry. We hid the scientists. So 
we learned from the Library of Alexandria, <laughs> you know, that, that's where we kept them. And it comes pretty interesting because they start talking about debt here, too. And so I was like, I was trying to figure this out. Like, for once, I, I read this a couple times. I'm like, there's, there's a couple angles here. I, they're saying they were pivotal in saving the existence of other tribes who were near extinct. And, and they came in during this time of the Black Plague, like, yeah, we'll help you out, no problem. Here's some land. Go be fruit flies and multiply with the wolves that are out there. We'll see you later. You know, God bless. Move on. Guy, I mean, guy willing, right? And that's it. And they, and they were doing this handing out checks. So later on, they could accrue a debt and call on it, right? But they said they're going to do that ancestrally, meaning we yeah. don't have to get you to do it. We'll call on you, you later on. My descendants will know that you owe them. And your descendants, whatever guru they are, are going to pay that debt. And it's coming. And I thought to myself immediately, that is a bit Giovanni. Right? A bit? Just a little <laughs> bit. Right? Just a little, ah. Like, that's, uh, that's about as dirty Venetian as you can possibly get. I, I, couldn't, uh, I can't say I'm shocked. But I sat here one time and I think I, 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 think I either joked about it on a rant or I did say it in a pod where it's interesting to me how the tribes are reflections of the clans. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can pick one for the other and how they stack up, but yeah, werewolf players, you know, ions, vampires, die vampires, ah, werewolves are boring. You know, they have politics and you're like going, Hmm, me think you doth protest too much. Well, there's not a, there's not really a, uh, like a mafia bend to this tribe though. Uh-huh. Is, is there? <laughs> That's a bit tongue-in-cheek here. We'll allow you to continue that in a minute. Uh, but And then so on. We get to the Renaissance, and uh, basically what we're going to do is speed this along. This is all about the advancement from the, of the machine this point forward, right? Yeah. All the way up until you get to the Industrial Revolution. Now, why it's important is that there's a self-awareness this machine undergoes. And all up until this point, it's, uh, it's copacetic. They're all about, you know... Uh, working smarter, not harder, you know, make more of something with requiring less effort. And all right, that's a little dangerous for man to have. Even they said that they realized and was like, ah, maybe a bad idea for canning. Ah, <laughs> but it's going to feed a lot more people. It's easy. Yeah, just go ahead and do it. All right, cool. And industry's not, doesn't have to be bad. But then out of nowhere, they cite the actual, and this is what I like. They cite the actual enemy. I'm going to remind you. The way worm lore was outlined and works is that it, the more specific you know of the worm, the more corrupt you are. Right? You can know there are bangs. This dude, well, this dude's been naming names since the since the book started. Correct. This is my whole damn point, bro. Right? My whole damn point. This guy's name bomb dropping like it's going out of style. However, not just him. Did not in the comic book that was written... The kinfolk cite two very specific yep. Bane names that he called out yep. for the war that gave him power. Now, in this case, let me see if I could find it here. We got the yes, yes, yes. Here it is. The Countess of Desire and the Chamberlain of Lies made into great column, Lord of Sludge and Lady Yule, Mistress of Toxins. And it's interesting they do that, right? And it's like in the next sentence they mention the White Howlers. Now, why that's interesting, we'll learn later on when we go over Chronicles of the Black Labyrinth. Uh, there's a whole dirty little book that gets some very serious names in it where the whole – the way the worm works is corruption. The more you know, the more it wants you to know, and then it's too late. This is the same thing. But they drop this book like it's tribal knowledge. 
And we used to tell everybody about this, that we knew our enemy when we saw it here in the Industrial Revolution. We know this was wrong because we saw this column get born, and oh man, it was downhill. Pollution on a mass scale, we got to do something. And immediately we just, we just put, yeah. our, put our feet down. It's okay, mankind, this ends. We got a war against Finally, finally the worm has come to attack our our blessed machine. And now we have to stop it. (laughs) But something happens, and that's two world wars. But what's significant about these world wars from the Glasswalker half here, DJ? Literally prior to that, this is exactly where the Glasswalkers also get their name. Because other Garu have to bail them out. This is the first time they actually owe anyone, and that's where they end up getting their names is because once everything was nice and settled prior to the war, they walked away and they were like, well, those that walk amongst class, and it just kind of stuck. So funny that they didn't get to name themselves. Once again, someone else named them. However, when it comes to the two world wars, we have two entities that come out of this. We have uh, the American dollar shows up for the first time. Uh -uh, Excuse Uh, me. That is almighty dollar. Almighty dollar. The almighty dollar. Right, and more importantly, or the one I find the most uh, the most funniest one, Clashing Boom Boom. Well, Clashing Boom Boom been around since they like first forged an axe, right? But this is where Clashing Boom Boom shines. Grows. Yeah, Clashing Boom Boom grew during this period in time. It's significant, right? This is also where they learn that the machine was, well, they, they shouldn't have turned their back from it into mm-hmm. what it was doing. Now, Nick already pointed out a very complex thought that you're not going to get from reading the book that we hope us telling you here, you can see this in a new light. Remember, what happens in the real world has a reflective example in the Umbra, and we now know that's what the machine is. One can argue the data sphere exists because of mankind's power that they flooded into it from marching in the weaver's steps. Now, even the weaver, though, is a facet of man. Right, this whole concept of control and things fitting where it needs to be. You, what came first, mankind or weaver? You can't answer that. That's a paradox argument, right? Because tools mm-hmm. and innovation and, and, and moving on—that's what man does. It's what they're known for. So, in this facet, you can see clearly when the world war comes about, and we start getting into espionage, bombs, and military technology, and the ability to kill each other on a massive scale. This is something that very much is energy synergistic explosions in the Umbra, right? Because two totems come out of it, and then you have something very terrible that occurs. Now, the way to describe it, World War II, you have the machine that flips out because the worm comes in, right? But to explain that mm-hmm. a little bit, Nick, what, what is that connection there that we're referring to? Well, obviously, uh, technology wants to grow, and nothing allows technology to grow more like a driving need. That driving need, unfortunately, came from the beast of war. So, obviously, you have these continuing uh, upgrades and armaments and things like that that come along, and it gets all the way up until a bomb gets dropped on an island in Japan. And at that point, everyone sits down, and they take a seat. And as they put it in here, in the Umbra the machine itself sat down and and had to contemplate how did it get to this? How is this what I am now? And that quote, I, and I was it? I am, I am death destroyer of worlds or I am become death, right? Whenever I hear yep. about the bomb and significance in history to this very day, there are people who pump brakes when they, the very concept of war, it's so prevalent that we saw what, what we can do. 
that it's the fear of nations. It's the joke of one to say we got nukes, we'll use them, and how very serious it's taken. And I love how the world of darkness, in particular in Werewolf, never lets anyone forget it. Because that single bomb, the world of darkness period, was written to where that had a dramatic effect across all the genres. Bar none. Mm-hmm. And in here, it sat an incarnate down and said, wait a second, what am I doing? And let's, let's, let's take time here to figure out what that is. And then it shifted gears for more to focus on information, which in a way, yep. it's a very, it's a very bland way or general, not bland. It's a very uh, creative way uh, to explain how, uh, how technology goes in a different direction. It becomes more relevant to where we're at today, even more so now than when they broke this book, right? And this booming machine running around doing it is kind of where the glass walkers are at. This is why uh, they were there as, a, as the fuel for what goes on. And they mention it, right? Because this machine has birthed what's something called the digital web, which is, well, the data sphere as far as anyone's concerned. Now, let me take that back. The digital web exists. There's a realm that exists to it too now. But through the digital web, one can find this sphere if it's major. In other words, they gave the werewolves an aspect to play in and an umbral world for it. And they gave the mage, of course, the entire sphere to know it. And that's where it is. But that's where they kind of meet and mingle for the first time. This is like the birthing of them. And I'm getting through this because I know we're getting long. And I don't want to miss the important part, which is the culture of their camps. And Nick, sir, I know I was rushing. I know there's some important points and people are like, well, don't forget this, that, and the other. Folks, it's a review, and I know I'm reminding you of that to be general, but also please kick your questions in and responses. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but we want to get to the camps. And right mm-hmm. off the bat, Nick, tell us what the wise guys are. Uh, wise guys are what you think they are. Uh, they're basically the uh, the Sicilians that uh, you know got uh, adapted into usury and, uh, and enforcement, and, uh, and now they kind of have a way of life about them, if you know what I mean. What's interesting to me, and uh, even even I, I was aware they were strong camp. I wasn't aware they were the strongest camp. Hmm. Does it actually say that? Though? Oh, it like says the, it. Uh, like by population or by power? By power. Oh, okay. It's, it's very interesting that that's how it is, right? Um, it says flat. That's why they're still in command of the Glasswalkers. It doesn't. It doesn't surprise me at all, right? Because you got to think about it. These guys are kind of the epitome of everything that, that we've heard about the glass walkers today, which is taking using repurposing and, uh, and you know, either by force or by, uh, you know, by, by dollar and accruing debt. I wouldn't be surprised if they're the first ones to go like, Hey, BTW, that ancestor (laughs) yours, he's going to have to pay at one point or another. Well, the thing is, the thing is, is when we're thinking of the wise guys being in charge of it, this is a first ed book. And I, I happen to know, Revise takes care of that. But Revise does not agree with this, right? Which is why I said it. Because I'm trying to get from <laughs> right. you guys when you read this book. When I started playing Werewolf, I was in Revised already. I had to go back and mm-hmm. read the tribe books because the tribe books, I played Werewolf Lark first ed first. And so I was given tribe books then, these first ed books, to learn the game. But yep. I didn't play the tabletop until. And when I paid attention to this, it was like, eh, I don't really play Glasswalkers. Uh, but the few NPCs I used didn't know no big deal. And I always wondered why I kept seeing these Pisons show up, right? These <laughs> pasta eating Bafangu Kronos, right? Like, what is that about? Why is everybody going there? You know, my Tommy gun will stop you, spirit of fire, do your thing. And it's like, okay, wh- why? 
Well, here's one. <laughs> Flat out says they're in charge of the whole shebang. Well, DJ, I find it interesting that they are, and they call them the most powerful when there are city farmers. The city farmers, they're actually my second favorite, to be honest, because it's one of those things where you take a look at it and they have a pure message, which is we could grow an ecosystem from within the city. And it's literally, if we could grow, like, they're the people that you would probably find better in your city by putting the trees around, right? Make sure that smog doesn't eat anything up. They're the ones that are actively working and actually proving an aspect of the glass walkers. It doesn't have to go the the stereotypical route you actually think it would. It actually goes the route of saying, we'll grow it from within, and if we could create this ecosystem, then we should be good. Here's where we find balance. This is where you start getting balance from within the city, and this makes it much more attractive, or this will it'll make it more attractive for other tribes to accept us as an equal partner. And where I went with that, too, is I thought about uh, food production. Yep. Right? When you think about, uh, what is that, hydro farming? Is that the term? What am I thinking of? Hydroponics. Yes, hydroponics. Right? It's not just for weed, folks. And it's it's ways <laughs> to do it in an environment that wouldn't necessarily support it. And I thought, man, urban permanence, wouldn't, wouldn't that get them more of a gain? Say that's both, but it's bringing Gaia onto the weaver, merging them both as a tribe and providing a yield yeah. you wouldn't normally get. That's, that's interesting how that's overlooked here. But if we remember right, first ed with 94, popularity was always in the eye of who plays what the most, what caused the most boom for your buck, so to speak. And uh, to, uh, to take one here, urban primitives, long story short, they're modern primitives. These are people who want to come in and prove that they don't necessarily, um, they're here to defend Gaia, and that's true, but also they're here to represent um, a facet of the machine, not necessarily... I don't know how you would call that. Would you, would you call it commonplace? Because it's definitely a... It is now. It wasn't back then. Like, in 94, when this came out, this is probably one of the first few times that you start seeing it actually grow. But we see this all the time now. This is kind of... Your urban explorers, right? The ones yeah. who... The, the, the city, you know... I call it my urban jungle all the time. I'm a city boy, so I'm yeah. like... Uh, right? And this is the life that they live. This is their, their way of moving about. What's interesting about it, though, is that much in the same way that many other Garus would probably take a look at, you know, the fire or stone or whatever, they're all about tech. The city has its own spirit, and they revere those spirits, so to speak. But, but the, I find these guys, like, confused. Right? Like, they view the city as though it's an aspect of the wild. Yes. That, I mean, that when I read that, that's exactly how I hear this. Like, they think literally it's its jungle, and it moves and adapts, and they move and adapt with it, man. So to it, they don't use tech. Not like you think, right? So an urban mm-hmm. primitive here strikes me as somebody who wouldn't talk to a to a cell phone spirit or to a you wouldn't talk to us through a cell phone. They'd use a cell phone spirit to send a message. Like they go to the source, man. Right? They're yep. here to defend guy and not just not just destroy the worm, right? They're here to they're here to meld it all and kind of bring it together. And that's what they do. But I agree with Nick. It's like a confusing message, but also an interesting camp nonetheless because of that. Yeah. Then we have the uh, Umbral Pilots. <laughs> I, I I just view these guys as mad scientists with like an adrenaline junkie bend, right? Because like this, they got this guy in here who's talking, and he's a uh, it's to be uh, to be fair, it's just a picture of like a, a Garu with like like a pilot's set of goggles on his head. But I look at that, and all I see is Doc Brown. <laughs> this guy with his crazy idea of ta- taking this DeLorean and turning into something else entirely. Like these guys plunge into the crazy places of the Umbra that absolutely nobody will go to. Or should. And, and it, or should. 
And this guy is talking about like finding some old drill machine, like some Jules Verne relic from like the 1600s and infusing it with spirits until it works so they can drill their way into a hive. Like that's some crazy mad scientist shit. Fun. But fun. Right. To me, it's a different direction. Oh, yeah. I, that's la- true. I laugh about it because this is where you're innovative and in, in actually your imagination for the glass walkers coming from. Right. We're a source of creativity. Truth be told, folks. Um, wild energy would be something that would be uh, un- unhinged, right? It's uh, you, you can't exist. If you were constantly patterned thought, you were not making new nothing, right? The whole point would be static, and, and that's how it is. But when creativity thrives, that is the wild in you, uh, kicking forward and doing inspiration as, they, as it would become randomly, it seems. But speaking of random, EJ, what's a random interrupt? It is a camp. Your random that. interrupt are literally your your techies. These are your werewolves that are going to be all about being able to use that data sphere. They're the ones that are touching base with it. They're the ones that are putting the most effort into finding out how to make the most out of uh, the stuff that's coming out now. This new technology, this wave, mind you, when this book was written, right, the, the internet was blowing up. And this is where you start seeing them ride that particular line. So in here, someone's going to read this line. I'm going to read it to you. Define this for me, right? It says, some would call them Luddites for their wanton destruction of machinery, but they're really working to free the machine of Wormtain and for the freedom of information. Oh, I could tell you what that is. It's hacktivism, man. So mm-hmm. what they're doing is uh, there's their sense of an idea of, of free information. This is a concept that's kind of like coming into, uh, into, into root in our more modern era than it ever was back then. This is like you know, people who are like about net neutrality. If you watch the end of Fight Club and you see all those buildings blowing up and you're thinking to yourself, I don't get why they're blowing up the buildings. This scene doesn't make any sense to me. This this camp is not for you. This is chaos unraveling from freedom of restriction and control. These guys are intending on attacking the systems that are, are that are binding everything together. Hack the planet. There's, there's a lot to it, right? Uh, in that regard. And fun. Right? I'm going to say that, too. Um, who didn't want to be on the Tyler Durden's army of miscreants, right? Right. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's just, this is one thing for certain. And then you have the corporate wolves. Now, what I like about this is that the wolves of Wall Street, just go watch that. It, you may yeah. think that's not the corporate wolves, but that's exactly what I think of when I read this. It It's probably the easiest out of all to, even more so than the wise guys. They are literally as it is. Yep. Now, sure, you could say that they're they're in into a Bobby. So Wolves of Wall Street, those guys were corrupt and blah blah. No, those guys weren't werewolves. They got caught, right? <laughs> These glass walkers <laughs> and werewolves can do way more cocaine than that and be just fine. Just fine. They would have got away with it, is what it turns out, right? Doing what they do because money's sort of their thing, and that's and that's that. Old mighty Dalek would have supported them one hundred percent, right? Yep. That's all they needed, and they would have been walking yep. away with a little uh, not rookie numbers, right? As they say. <laughs> and that's going to bring us to uh you know some interesting I, I would say the most interesting totems yet to be read come out of this book right yeah because there's not many we'll mention they're four big right you got cockroach you've clashing boom boom the monkey king and oh mighty doll clashing boom boom we know is the advent of war right updating tech to the war purpose is clashing boom boom oh mighty dollar should need no explanation which I'm just saying it's in the title. A lot of totems do this too. Cockroach is about survival. Yes. Right? Believe it or not, that's sort of cockroach's main day attack, but with information in mind, the embodiment of it and moving forward with it. But the Monkey King 
is something that would the confusing one. Yeah, because is it confusing? I okay, Double Monkey, tell me what's up. It's innovation, right? It's the it's being able to be clever enough to get yourself out of any situation. It's being able to consistently adjust to what's happening around them. And the monkey, well, obviously, but the the crazy part is the Monkey King is also mischievous because it'll never take real accountability of anything, even like in lore. And much like the Glasswalkers, this is the exact same way they'll weasel themselves out of anything. They'll find Monkey King is literally there to support them to make those stupid ass <laughs> plays that they'll be able to go to and just point to another tribe and go like that. Yeah, that's their fault. But I'm out of here. I like to think the Monkey King's included in here to not be offensive when they said the Warder of Apes. <laughs> right? That's that's partly what I think to get in here. Like the, the whole time, the whole time we're saying, it, I'm like, going, that's kind of harsh, man. And we know it's a folks that point right. out the the ape terminology they use in werewolves is, is to refer to somebody born as Ahmed. They just do that. Mm-hmm. Commenting they weren't born of wolves, and that's uh, that's how it is. Where being born of wolves is a mark of pure breed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a cultural yep. thing for them. Well, the Monkey King in here is supposed to be freedom and knowledge, as well as being a trickster. And they highlight that he doesn't necessarily have compassion for his fellow humans, those that are there. It's just he's basically, yeah. he's a human given incarnate form, or a given totem form. I shouldn't say incarnate, given totem form. He's running around, kicking people, stealing their stuff, and figuring it out, and doing his own thing for himself. He might be beneficent or beneficent to others. He might be a pain in the side. Uh, who knows? It's really up to his whim and his mood. But that kind of pretty much describes any human being any day of the week, right? Uh, maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's just like a totem representation of the endless bag of tricks that people seem to come up with. They're innovative ways of building new tools and, and methods of solving problems. So it's our way of saying DG's right. And we're just explaining that in depth. Now, <laughs> you got to hear it all because well, I'm feeling it right. out. I'll be honest with you. It, it, it was like it, it confused me. It's, it's a good thing. <laughs> when I got there too, I said it as well. But I think you might have been coming to the same angle I was after getting so static with. Okay, we get clear. Cockroach, clashing, boom, boom, mighty dollar. Where yep. did the monkey king come from? And, and when DJ say innovation, I was like, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, how could you miss that? And the answer is that it's not a miss. It's just it didn't necessarily fit. But that's because when you take the fact they yep. included China in here and mention now you see the Monkey King, you're beginning to see also culturally where this comes from as well, right? It's encompassing mm-hmm. everything. Uh, much like every bit when you get the, uh, who was it, the Korotan who feels like they would dip into the bunyip a little bit. We start going over them, right? There's, there's like a strong pull of a high spirituality when it gets to Turtle, right? You know, it, uh, that's, I'll pull yeah. that in. We, we've wasted enough time, but there's there's aspects there. That's all I'm saying. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, but, folks, uh, that's going to bring us into the Glasswalkers, of course, tribe book here. Um, we definitely know uh, that we didn't get into necessarily their seasonal rights and stuff like that. Well, that's the problem with First Ed, right? Yeah. First Ed, a lot of stuff changes going into Revised. Yes. doesn't necessarily hold well uh, for review purposes, but for those who are nostalgic or looking for a little collector's item, uh, this tribe book is definitely going to be the one because it's going to have that back content for you. If you're an ST who loves Werewolf and you've only been you've been playing Werewolf 20 and you'd be looking for seeds to kind of kind of stump your players going a different direction for uh, a different story on another game session in the future, I highly recommend getting books like this to look at uh, a lot of their culture pieces to see where ideas come from. What I like about uh, first edition is that when they when they go to revise and they update this stuff. And uh, all the way to the 20, they don't necessarily abandon it. <clears throat> change the face of it. They change the focus of it. They change the concentrated uh, 
uh, effort that they threw in one direction and broaden and open up stories in, in others. But they always have something of it still kicking rocks uh, around in the, in the update. And why I say that is because a player may not pick up on the fact uh, that uh, there were these, uh, what do they call them again, Luddites? <laughs> that the random camp, interrupts, yeah. Right, they were back in, back in the camp and, and be dealing with them uh, up into the modern when, of course, there's an aspect of them, but times change. But how cool would it be to be dealing with somebody who was part of that camp in 2021 or what have you, you know, in a, in a, in a W20 game and what that might look like? Um, and they, this just gives you perspective. That's just how I would use it. And uh, yep. any last thoughts, guys, before we're done? Yeah. Um, one of the things, especially as a person who's probably coming to Werewolf the first time, right, or anyone who's coming into it, they think that Glasswalkers is the easiest tribe. But cool, urban werewolves. I don't have to worry about having to deal with the wild or, like, have, like there's respect here. There's the, the story, if anything at all, the two main takeaways is <laughs> Glasswalkers are the type that... Uh, pushed over the glass of milk, and they're like, it's all right, it was meant to be there in the first place. So you actually see where their flaw starts cutting, but that's their commitment to it. And part two of it starts showing you, especially for someone who's coming into this glasswalker culture, you'll actually get to see there is a reason behind it. There is a reason why they use humanity and follow it through where other tribes do not, and what separates them from Bonars. So I think that was the biggest takeaway from me. Um, the art was primarily fantastic. The only one that really threw me for the loop was in that comic book where that lupus has two Gatling guns on his back. It's like, don't, old pain this times too. That threw me for a loop, uh, which might be a little exaggerated, but I thought it was a good book that way. Well, we know why old painless he had it, and, and we'll get to that in later books, but uh, <laughs> let's just say that he's uh, he's a really handy guy to have around in a group, right? And it's, uh, would you rather him only have one when he could have two? I know I certainly wanted him to step up. So with that said, uh, folks, uh, love having you. Thanks for having us. And uh, we'll tune in uh, next week when we give you another pot. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www facebook.com slash 25 years vtm or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com if you would like to support us we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade